Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Real Quick with Mike Swick podcast, special quarantine series, episode number 11. Um, today, we have a very special guest, as I always say. Um, but let me bring you back to November of 2009. Um, I had won four fights as a welterweight. Um, I was on my way to a title shot. And Dana White uh, calls me and, and gives me those those words that you never forget. Um, I'm going to put you in a fight, and it's going to be a contention fight. And if you win this fight, you're going to get a main event fight against George St. Pierre. What do you think? Obviously, I think I'm going to take this fight, and I'm going to win and fight George St. Pierre. So um, that didn't happen. I did take that fight, and that person who beat me and took that title fight and went on to fight George St. Pierre is our guest today. He's a great guy. Um, much respect. I've always respected him before we fought. Um, I respected him during our fight. You can't fight someone for 15 straight minutes and not have respect for him. Um, and uh, he's doing great now, and it's great to see. I'm talking about Dan Hardy. Dan Hardy, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you, man? You good? Good. Long time. Been a while. Long time. How are things over there? Good, man. I mean, I guess uh, the quarantine obviously is a, uh, in the pandemic, I, I guess, is a pretty bad situation. So it's attacking everybody. Um, this is what I wanted to ask you about being in London. Um, it seems like y'all took a pretty big hit as well. Here in Thailand, everything's shut down. The gym shut down. Um, right now, pretty much all restaurants, uh, businesses that aren't essential, um, it's shut down. So it's pretty bad, man. What's it like? in, in uh, you're, you're not in London. You're, or you're, you're north of London, correct? Yeah, I'm about about a hundred miles north, um, and it's—I mean, to be honest, I bet—I bet it's a lot stranger in London, to be honest, because obviously those streets are used to being packed full of people and shops open and you know everything going on. Whereas I live in a little village in the countryside, which is—it's quite peaceful anyway. Um, even in rush hour, it's relatively quiet in my village, so it's—it's quite—I mean, it's, it doesn't really affect me too much. I'm kind of out of the loop a bit, and I'm. I don't mind being at home. It's been it's been quite a nice break for me. So I've not been out anywhere at all. I've I've not needed to. But um, I, I know a lot of other people are, are, are struggling, obviously, with uh, everything being shut down. Um, I mean, I, I got back to the country just as the lockdown started. I was traveling back from Brazil, and uh, I, I got into the country on a, on the Monday, and I think by the Thursday they started the lockdown process. And you know, it was uh, it's strange. It, it, it's weird. I mean, it's you know, it's it's unprecedented in, in my lifetime, certainly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, one thing I am proud of is how everyone's kind of banded together and kind of, um, you know, to deal with it, to face it as much as we can. Yeah, I think the scary thing is going to be like what happens after this is over, you know, like I think there's going to be a lot of businesses get shut down and, and, and the ones that are the most important, you know, maybe not the ones, the most important to the world, but the, the most important to the people, you know, the small businesses and, you know, people's livelihood, like the contract workers, the people that work, you know, our jobs and stuff like that, getting laid off. So it's, it's a sad scenario that this is affecting literally every type of every type of business, every type of people, every type of, you know, every country, every, you know, every ethnicity, every it's just attacking everything. And it's crazy that, like, you could never expect this as a worst case scenario. And, it, and it's actually happening. So are there any um, are there any like kind of uh, laws or restrictions or anything where you're at outside of London or is it pretty open and and like are they sticking to any kind of like uh, mandates or anything yeah there are a lot of restrictions I mean all essential businesses are closed um, supermarkets are restricted hours uh, I mean I, I have a local supermarket in the village that I can walk to from my house um, but if I mean I've never experienced it before but to, to, to stand in a line outside with two meters between everybody waiting right. so they're managing how many people are in, in the shop, um, and, and then restrictions on food as well to begin with. They, they've, they've relaxed them now, but um, to begin with, you know, you couldn't buy more than two of any one item in the, in the store um, to make sure there was enough to go around. Um, and, and then, the, like, police restrictions. Like, I know the police are, are monitoring, uh, you know, people traveling. Anybody that's traveling too frequently that's noticed that they'll be pulled over and questioned and can be fined. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's it's... To be, I mean, it, like I said, it's affecting more people than, than it is me. I know a lot more people are struggling than, than I am. Um, I, I'm, I'm quite happy to, because I think, I mean, one of the benefits that's coming out of this, and I, I was discussing this with my dad the other day, 
like I think it will change change working habits a lot. Like a lot of people are getting used to working from home, being able to function without going into the office and wasting seven eight hours a day staying you know in in, a, in the same room as a bunch of people that don't need to be around. Um, so I think there are positives that will come out of it as well. But certainly it's a it's a reality check, uh, and and it's I think it's it's given us all a gut check as to whether we're all individually prepared for this kind of thing as well. What do you think's the the resolve for this? Like, do you are you at a point where you're going to stay quarantined or stay kind of in isolation until this thing is over, and then and then you know obviously when it's safe come out, or are you like to the point where you're just like, let's just face it. Like, if it was up to you and you had the decision, would you want to just face this thing, considering that the the percentage of people at our age group that are actually most people are asymptomatic, they have no symptoms at all. That's the majority, and then less than that might be you know minor symptoms, and then less than that might be you need some medicine, some antibiotics, and some treatment at home. And then obviously the worst case scenario, you go to the hospital. Even worst case scenario, you die. I'm kind of like I've I've been back and forth throughout this series talking to so many different people, and it's like I'm almost to the point now where it's like instead of living in fear and 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 seeing everything collapse economically, I'm I'm like to the point where I'm ready just to face it and and just go out there and and just get, move on with our lives. And if and if you want to face it, get out of your house and go do it. If you don't, you stay inside and stay quarantined. Like if you're old, if you have pre-existing conditions, you know we quarantine those people and everyone else just kind of face it and deal with it. And I mean, if unfortunately it it takes our life, it takes our life. If it you know it doesn't, it doesn't, and we can just move on. And and I just feel like the longer we stay in this isolation and and afraid and living like this, it's just not it's not good, you know, and it's, it's just like, uh, I'm getting kind of tired of it. <laughs> I'm getting kind of tired yeah. of my living to be honest. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. I think, I mean, from, from the UK's perspective, at least like the isolation I think was good or, and has been good up to this point just to kind of lessen the impact on the, the national health service. Um, I mean, we you know, we have free healthcare here. I say free, obviously we pay for it within our taxes, but it, I mean, I think it's a, 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 an amazing privilege that we've got the NHS and, and the work that they do. And um, what this has done is allow people to realize how valuable they are and how, how hard they work. I mean, people that have come out of retirement to go back to hospitals to help. Um, so, you know, the isolations help people, help, help to lessen the impact on the NHS. Because obviously, you know, that first wave of people going down, if we can cut that in half, then it's, it's far less strain on the healthcare services, which leaves the, the availability with, for, you know, for the people that do really need it. Right. Um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm of the same opinion of you, to be honest. And, and when this all started out, I mean, I, I was traveling, I've been traveling the start of the year. You know, I've been to New Zealand and back and Brazil and back. So I've traveled through several major airports you know, a couple of airports, I could quite easily see me walking through a cloud of coronavirus a couple of times. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I feel like I've probably been through it. And right. I mean, like, I, I was sick. I, I don't really get sick, to be honest, I'm, unless I'm working too hard and I run myself into the ground. And then, you know, you know, you know yourself from training camp, you have those telltale signs of my nose is a bit stuffy, my throat's a bit sore. You know what I mean? My temperature's high. You kind of know when you're pushing yourself too much. And that, that's when I start to get sick. Whereas this year, I mean, like I was, I was, I had a cold for seven or eight weeks. I didn't feel quite right. And that was, that was, you know, in between all the traveling that I was doing. So I kind of feel like I may have had it and processed it anyway. And if not, I feel like I've at least come into contact with it. And like you said, you know, we're, we're strong, healthy individuals. We're, you know, we're likely to, to be able to walk through it without issue. And one thing that I think we all need to accept now is that it, it's a part of our environment. Like just like the flu is, coronavirus is now a part of a part of our reality, and it's it's just one of those things that we have to deal with. You know, we have to be on point with our with our, our personal hygiene and our health, uh, uh, you know, our nutrition and that kind of thing. But everyone's going to have to go through it at some point, um, and, and I think that you know the isolation will help because the people that will struggle when they go through it will have people to rely on to help them. Um, but yeah, I, you know, for the most part, people I think can start getting back to normal. I mean, I was in support of the UFC event. I got asked a lot of questions about that. There was a lot of people against it. Um, but, you know, even with Jacare testing positive for it, you know, he's in a, he was in a hotel full of people that are all fit and healthy, and no one else has tested positive since. So, you know, we, I think we've just got to kind of get start getting on with things a little bit. Yeah, two things. Like, first, I, I agree with you. And, and literally every single person that's been on the podcast, every single person I've talked to about this has either been sick since January or they know of people that's been sick since January and it's the exact same symptoms. So I mean, it's not a coincidence, right? Like every single person I've talked to. Um, 
I feel like a lot of us have had it or have, you know, have went through it and, and beat it or got past it. And nobody knows because like, apparently it's really hard to get tested. Like in America, there's people that are sick going to the hospital and they're still not testing them. They're telling them they're not sick enough. Go home. If you get a fever over this amount and you get this, 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 and this, then come back and we'll test you. So they're testing the sickest people. And then in America, I mean, we've had uh, 1.4 million cases now. And of course we've had 82,000 deaths. But it's so misconstrued with like, I mean, all these people that have cancer and that are have they have pneumonia or they have pre-existing conditions that are really bad. If they happen to get Corona and, and they're diagnosed with it and still die of cancer or still die of pneumonia or still die of whatever it is, it's automatically considered a coronavirus death. Right. Um, but it's like, I don't know. It's just it's crazy to me that like, I don't know, man. I, what do you do? I mean, it's, you can't change the. It's, when you're dealing with so many people, so many governments, so many countries, you can't change it like sitting like we are, you know, like, like I'm sure you're getting hit somehow financially and, and at least your freedom. Um, I am as well, too. And it's like it sucks that we can't really do anything about it. You know what I mean? Like we have to wait for the, the powers that be to tell us what to do. And it seems like they're wrong. You know, it seems like every day. Even who like they're, they're all issuing statements that they're recanting and putting out you know, new facts every week. And it's just like, I think that's the frustrating part when, when, when I feel like if, yeah. and, and, and then when you try to find the stats of the people that's actually dying, that's the hardest stat to find. Like it'll tell you how many people's dying, but when you start searching for the age groups and the preexisting conditions, it's almost impossible to find out. And I think the reason is, is because they're really old and they all are really sick and they don't want you to know that. And that, that creates like a possibility of an agenda. And, and that scares me, you know, because if it gets to a situation where there is some big agenda going on, how long is this going to last? You know what I mean? Like how long are they going to use that and use their power to keep us down? And then we have to live oppressed in this, this situation. That was long, that was long winded, yeah. but it was kind of like, <laughs> that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. No, I'm, I'm hearing you, man. I mean, like, yeah, certainly it's, it's changed a few things for me. I mean, I, I'm I'm not normally at home for more than three or four days at a time, and I've I've been at home now for six weeks. Um, you know, I've, I've, been, I've walked to the shop, not been, not driven anywhere or anything like that, not seen my family aside from you know through the wonders of the internet. Um, but you know, at, at, at the same time, I'm I'm kind of I always have to I have to see what I've got and the and the, the opportunities that I've got and the, I'm using this time to kind of prepare myself for for the next stage for what's to come because it's not it won't be like this forever things will get back to normal I think I think things will always be different um, you know I, I certainly think that we we have been affected by this and you know like social distancing now will always be something that is you know something to take into account um, you know like people's people's uh, understanding of, of their own hygiene, their own health and, and nutrition, I think shifted as well, you know, right. just with, because the thing is, I mean, yeah, absolutely. There are games being played, you know, the media are, are, are great for spreading fear and propaganda and, and making people think and feel certain things and, you know, sit inside and panic and freak out and, you know, just get in cycles of stupid TV and just eat junk food and think it's the end of the world. Like, I mean, that's, that's the media's job. You know, it's like they're, they're it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a toxic, you know, it's a toxic machine, really, the, the, the media. And I think that there is a lot of that going on. I, I kind of tune out to the media, to be honest. I mean, like, I know, for, like, my own reality around me, I know that, uh, like, one of the black belts that, that graded me when I was 17 to my black belt, a guy called Master Malcolm Siddle, um, he died recently. Um, I think he was in his 80s. He was a, an old man who had respiratory issues as well, you know. So, like, you're right. I think there are people that are susceptible to it. And I think unfortunately this thing showed this thing showed up, and that's the other thing we get onto. You know, where where, where has it come from, and how has it showed and showed up in our environment all of a sudden, and the the, the ethics and morals around it, and uh, I mean that that's that's a, that's a probably a whole podcast in itself. But for you know for for what it is, it's in our environment right now, and it, it's taking out a chunk of the population that are susceptible to it. And you know, you look back through human history. I mean, it happens over and over again. There's, there's always it's like a it's like nature kind of like kind of it's like a culling you know what i mean it's yeah. like it removes a chunk of the species because we're getting out of hand and to be honest i don't think this is too bad at all i, I think this is a warning shot over the bow like if, if we assume this is from nature which is a debate in itself <laughs> i'm sure you'll agree with me yeah, yeah if we assume this is from nature then this to me is a warning shot this is a warning shot over the bow of the boat like hey don't go any further you're pushing your luck you're burning through the fossil fuels. Anything on the planet that's finite, 
you're, you're wrecking it. Anything that's that's beautiful, you're consuming it. You know, I mean, and, that, and the whole thing points it back to the wet markets and their their ethics and morals are horrendous when it comes to wildlife. Like, yeah. it kind of feels like a punishment. You know, you kind of feel like that the wrath of God's coming through in some way. And I'm not, I'm not a, a biblical person in it at all. But you yeah. can see where people have, have the past things on the Bible and where they were being punished. Like, I mean, this might be a warning shot. You know, we might need to fix up and look sharp. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard. I feel the same way. And it's I, w- I was trying to figure out a way to word it because it's like you don't want to sound insensitive. Um, but at the same time, it's like in the world, when you look at every species outside of the human race, it's pretty much the strong survive and, and the weak don't, you know. But the the species, you know, us, Amer- I mean, uh, uh, humans, it's like the weak can survive, you know, the, the, the weaker can survive and they can survive well for a long time. We, we take care of each other. We're the most sophisticated. So it's not it's not crazy to think that there is something coming along that's kind of taken away the more weaker, um, as like you said, like a nature thing. And the only reason I, I feel this is law. Of, I've always believed in a law of balance. I'm not religious like what, what you were saying, but I do feel there's a law of balance in the world. And I think it's a weird coincidence that like this thing is not only kind of taking out the, the people that are sick. And, and it is obviously kind of taking out some of the population of the world, um, but it's also cleaning the world. You know, it's, it's, it, you, you look at global warming, you look at the pollution, you look at all these different stats coming back now of how clean the war, I mean, clean the world is, clean the water is, clean the air is. It's weird how something so tragic to humans is so beneficial to the world. And then, it's, then you start wondering like, wow, it, it's almost kind of like what you said. It's almost like a nature thing where it's like a cleanse, you know, and it's like, it's insensitive to say because there's people that's dying and it's unfortunate and you don't want to see anybody die. But when you look at the animal world or like other species, like I said, I mean, it's an unfortunate life for many. I mean, the, the weak die all the time or the old die all the time. You know, we're one of the very few species on the, on earth that can have these great long lives and live fantastic, you know, until we're like 80 and 90 years old. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know. And like what you said too, I agree that it could be a lot worse. You know, we could have had something that hit us a lot harder than this. So at least it's not that, you know, where it's like the Spanish flu or something and, and, and killing a lot more people. Mm. I mean, I, I remember a story that's, I mean, it's quite close to home really because it's a, it's a village that's, you know, not too far from, from where I live, where I grew up. Um, but um, it's an old story from back in, I, I don't know, maybe the 16, 1700s. But it's, it was it was a, a breakout called the bubonic plague, and that was basically it was transmitted into Derbyshire, which is a, 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 about 120 miles north of, of London, about where I'm, I'm at. It was transferred on some on some cloth on some liniment that was being transferred to a to a tailor, and as as these fleas were, were moved up to this place, they carried this bubonic plague, and it broke out in this village, and it killed like 60% of the people in the village. But they wow. they completely isolated the village. And, and you can go to the place and like all the, all the little houses have got plaques on the wall of who lived there and who died in the plague. And it's, it's called Eam. I mean, it's a fascinating story. And that was that was one individual village and all the people decided they were going to isolate themselves. But if I compare what they went through to what we went through, I mean, they like the, the, yeah. the nursery rhyme, Ring of Ring of Roses, that's that's what that's from. The, the Ring of Roses is, is the, the, the sores that they would break out in. I mean, this is a this is flu where people struggle to breathe, and and you know, and it's attacking people that are that are, are weaker. I mean, that was that could take out anybody, no matter who they were, what age, what health. Like th- this is a warning shot, definitely. And like you said, like it is kind of a, it does seem like a cleansing process, not only for the world, but for 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 like you know, for for, for humanity. I mean, we're we're yeah. we're starting to change our habits as well. A lot of people are changing the way that they live and. Like you know, being more aware of uh, of the transfer of germs and, and bacteria and that kind of thing. That, I, I think, to be honest, like I, f- I feel like as a species, though, we're kind of at a fork in the road. Like we could go one or two ways at the moment. Like, and and I, I think I, I think you know if we think about this on a much much bigger scale, like the universe. Like, I think there are planets all over the all over the, the universe that are populated with a species. I think maybe every species might get to a point in their in their development, in their evolution, where they either become the cancer that eats the planet that they're on, or you know, the the a part of the planet that flourishes and grows and and, and springs off into you know, f- uh, you know, spreads off into into other things, you know, moves into the rest of the universe or whatever. I think we've got a, a an opportunity here to either continue wrecking the planet, 
or become a part of it and recognize that we're all one we're all one thing without yeah. sounding like a hippie yeah no i, <laughs> that I was very long no no that's good I, we're even uh it's like our fight we just we just go back and forth except you win at the end maybe i'll no, win you. this one um but the thing Mate, is is like i i always i always say that could have gone either way it, honestly it could it was uh <laughs> yeah. and if it was if it was I a feel middle, much better i feel much better losing my title <laughs> fight <laughs> it's i'm so, glad we can still be friends it's so much easier sitting on your end of the screen right now trust me trust me when i tell you brother <laughs> the guy who fought george st pierre yeah, trust me. It's much better over there. But congratulations to you. You're the better man. Um, but, you know, the, the crazy thing is, like what you were saying, though, like, uh, you know, it, all, the, all the ways that we help global warming and help all these, you know, clean the planet, don't, don't pollute the ocean. We need to take a break from fishing. We need to take a break from polluting the ocean. We need to take a break from polluting the, the air with our emissions. We need to do all these things. No matter how much you preach and how many people protest and how much stuff you do, nothing, nothing would have stopped all of that from happening except this and this stopped it like in its tracks that makes you like wonder like holy shit like for whatever reason we're doing exactly what the world wants us to do which is fucking weird man and, and you know it's someone like myself who's not i'm not anti-religious i'm just not religious to a specific thing i know there's something we're not here you know there's something that put us here you know and i'm not just going to believe something because somebody tells me but i know there's something here and so i believe in this like law of balance i believe in being good to people and and it comes back around obviously I, i'm not you know i don't want to be an asshole and think i'm gonna get away with it um but that law of balance, man, this just gets, this just backs it up even more. It's so weird when you think about it, you know? Yeah. The, the, the question is though, is, is it, are people, are people changing or is it, is it impacted their, has it, has it activated their selfishness in some way? Because like, if you say to someone, you could get sick, you better stay at home. They'll stay at home. But it's like, you can't get sick with everyone else can but you can transmit it to everybody else, would that person then stay at home is the right. question. Like it, it, it's when it becomes a question of personal mortality, like, okay, hang on, can I suffer here? And what do I, you know what I mean? This, this, that, that selfishness thing still kicks in sometimes. Like yeah. I, I wouldn't go over and see my grandma because I feel like she's vulnerable, but I'm not. I, I would go and see her today. But I wouldn't because, because she's vulnerable and, and I know she is. And I think that that's something that we also have to bear in mind is, you know, even if we are healthy, who who are we around, and you know what what could we potentially be be endangering them with? Yeah, and I agree with you, man. I think I think that people who are in the demographic that's not being affected, except for a very very small percentage, um, should be allocated to live our lives and move on until there's adequate testing, where we have like you know tests available everywhere, and then the old and and the the guys with pre-existing conditions or whatever they have to stay isolated. And, and obviously protect themselves and stay away from everybody. I mean, how long is it going to take? I mean, if, if we get on with our lives and wait for tests to come around, it'll take no more than a year. There'll be tests everywhere. It, you know, you can get a test every day. And then at that stage, we can test ourselves, see if we have it or if we've been, you know, cured from it. And then we can go see our families and see our grandparents and see the people that are more vulnerable. I think that's what should happen. We should just have a pause from seeing the, the, the people that are susceptible and then the rest of us move on with our lives and not let everything cave in. Sorry about the break, guys, but I got to thank our sponsor, AK Thailand. I just want to say before I show you guys what AK Thailand is, for those of you that don't know, we are still doing a 30% discount reopen special. As of right now, we're mandated to open June 15th by the Thai government. I think that's going to stay uh, true. I think I'm, I'm sticking to it. Uh, we're planning for that date to, to open. Um, at worst case, it might be July 1st if it gets postponed. I don't think this is going to last much longer, to be honest with you. Um, but the 30% special, if you purchase now on akthailand.com, you save 30% on all group training classes, and that will last forever. There's no expiration date. So you can book it now, and then you can come as soon as the pandemic is over with, or you can come in a year, two years from now, whenever you want. As soon as you book it, your name goes into our system, and it stays there. Um, if you later want to change it to somebody else, transfer it to one of your friends, or, or if you want to buy it now for somebody else, that's perfectly fine as well. Just send us an email, let us know. 
we'll transfer the name and whoever wants to can come take advantage of it. So that way when this, this pandemic is over, this quarantine is over, all you guys are stir crazy and, and, and wanting to get out of your house, now you save 30% to come to Thailand and train. It's already cheap here you know, to, to get a accommodations. We can set that up for you with, with our on-site accommodations. We have a restaurant. We can get you meal plans, uh, motorbike rental, VIP, and, and regular taxi pickups from the airport. Um, tours, if you want, we can do it all. So just email info at akthailand.com if you have any questions, or you can go to akthailand.com and just order uh, right off the website. Everything's set up at 30% discount for group training classes. For those of you that don't know what AK Thailand is, here's the commercial. What's up, everybody? I am here in Thailand. This is the first time I've ever been here. Been dying to come here for years. The great Mike Swick. He's one of the big reasons he's been trying to pull me down here. What he built down here, AKA Thailand, is incredible. There's people here from all over the world. You can train mixed martial arts here, jujitsu. They have weightlifting, they have cardio, and obviously they have Muay Thai, boxing, everything. telling you guys I know everybody wants to go to Thailand because Thailand's so cool but you can't come to Thailand without coming to aka Thailand come on let me ask you this like what do you think after this happens the effects are going to be like for you for instance are you going to change like i'm ocd anyway so i'm, I'm already crazy like as far as like, I'm, i yeah, i'm ocd in a good way for business because i i overthink everything which means i think everything you know i don't count the door shutting and line everything up in my fucking cabinets or anything i'm not like that ocd i'm like ocd for germs i really am i'm clean i think it was from fighting like you know not you're not wanting to get sick for fight camp i was so paranoid for so many years trying not to get sick in fight camp trying not to get sick on fight week so i'm just stuck that way so i'm already kind of like that do you think we're going to change after this and and everybody's going to be a lot less uh intimate the way they greet each other and the way we act and the way we do you think it's going to change anything or do you think we'll get over this and it'll just kind of be, okay, you know, we'll get back to normal? Because I think everyone's going to fear that next thing now because now we know these things can come out of nowhere. You know what I mean? And like you never know when that next thing's going to happen. We didn't know this was going to happen and then all of a sudden, boom. So it's like I think it's going to change things. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think, this, I think the social distancing thing will be present and I think that uh, – you know, like, I mean, handshaking is, is, is far more valuable now. Like, you, you wouldn't shake the hands of somebody that you didn't trust, not yeah. because you don't trust them in a, you know, in a, you wouldn't trust them with your wallet kind of thing, but you don't trust that what's on their hand kind of circumstance. Yeah. And that, again, it relates back to your own safety. You know what I mean? Like, how, can I, how do I defend myself against this vulnerability? And I do think people will change. I, I, don't, know, I don't know how it's going to be like with, with, like, live sports in stadiums. I think that's going to be very different. And, like... I, I think back to like we were watching some old music videos earlier today, and uh, uh, like I was thinking back to like when I was going to like Sepultura gigs and like Megadeth gigs, and like we were crammed into the same place, sweating on each other, and like they and they were all filthy people. I mean, you know, they were, they were good people, but we were, we were, you know, like they were all teenagers and stuff. Everybody was drunk, and so like I, I think I think a lot of things, a lot of habits will change, and I think a lot of uh, I don't know. I mean, to be honest. I think we've, I think we're going to see a bit of a division in, in people. I think I think a lot of people are realizing that they're very comfortable to live like this. They're very comfortable to live in their own on their own timeline, work from home, see the people that they need to see, but not really step outside of that bubble necessarily. I think a lot of people will start to try and adopt that lifestyle. Um, so I think we might see you know a, a lot of like um, internet or online businesses become uh, you know very more much more popular. But then the other way, I think a lot of people are just dying to get out and socialize and be around people. So we might just see two branches off and two very, very different dealings with it. The people that do want to continue kind of being isolated and, and self-contained and then the people that desperately need that connection. No, I totally agree with you, man. I, I definitely agree with you. The fist bump's going to be strong now. I think that's going to be a big, uh, 
a big move. So, so you mean to tell me, um, while I was like sacrificing since I was eight years old, like not drinking and partying and training all the time and being super crazy dedicated to the sport, you were at like fucking Megadeth concerts with drunk people partying <laughs> until you took my title, you took my title shot away. Is that, I mean, I'm just, it just kind of just passed through my mind as we were talking. Is that, is that true? Is that a true statement? Is that how you, is that how you got to the title shot and then, uh, and then beat me? Cause I, I should have been partying at Megadeth concerts. Fuck my life, man. <laughs> Fuck my life, dude. I drank dude. for two years, and I've not drank, I've not drank since. I stopped drinking when I was 17. I haven't drank since. Okay. All right. All right. But I did go to a lot of shows, I must admit. A lot of late nights, but I did train hard. Mate, I train yeah. every day, man. I, I was dedicated. No, I, know you I worked hard. I know you no, do. But, I know like, you that's, that's, that's why I understand where you're at, because like, nothing ever came easy to you either. You worked hard for everything you got, man, and you can see that in the way that you, you live your life now. It's a thing that I tell people, man, because like I didn't get where I wanted to get. Like you got a step farther than me. And then obviously, you know, unfortunately for both of us, like the 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 champion of our division has happened to be just the greatest fighter that's ever lived. I mean, it, it, you know, we didn't have much of a chance. You know what I mean? Like the, literally the greatest <laughs> fighter on earth ever was the champion during our, our time. Um, but, you know, then people made it to the champion level and the Hall of Fame level. And, you know, they made different levels of success. And I tell people all the time, like in business too, you know, it's the same exact thing. Like you have to work hard. You have to dedicate everything. You have to take the risk. You have to have a little bit of luck. You have to have connections. You have to be a people person. Like you got to do all these things, but it doesn't guarantee like the rock. You got to be the hardest worker in the room. Absolutely. hundred percent. I believe in that, but that doesn't guarantee that you're going to be successful or achieve your goal. And that's where you lose everybody because not everybody wants to take that risk. Like if you knew if you were the hardest worker in the room, you'd be successful, more people would do it because they'd be like, fuck yeah, I'll be the hardest worker in the room and then I'll be successful. That's, I'll get what I want. But when people realize um, that you can be the hardest worker in the room, kill yourself and still not make it because it's still a lot of other people that are doing the same thing, that's when I think half the people give up and quit. And, and, and like for me, I worked my ass off, couldn't have worked harder in my career and came up short. And in business, I've done the same thing and I've made accomplishments and I've had successes and stuff. So it's like I'm driven luckily to work hard, but it doesn't guarantee anything. And that's the unfortunate thing about trying to accomplish your goals is you have to take that risk of killing yourself, knowing that you still might end up not being successful and, and not, not achieving your goals. So, but I will say you always at least fall better than you were. Do you know what I mean? Like if you go, if you go for something and you fall short, at least you're farther ahead than you were. So go for it. That's what I'm trying to say. The, the, my, the end yeah. of my motivational speeches, no. go for it. <laughs> I'm the no, worst I, I motivational agree. speaker ever. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest though, like I, I, I try and look at it this way as well, because you know, like you said, GSP was, was the best fighter on the planet at the time when we were trying to get the, the one thing that he had hold of, like how many other people were competing for it? You know, like not only in the UFC, but all the guys that we went through, like, you know, like in our amateur days and before, like all the guys that we were training with that never even stepped into the octagon. Like yeah. we were we were swimming in a, in a pond of hundreds and there was only one belt, you know? So yep. like for me, I, I kind of look back at it and go, you know, maybe, maybe I wasn't supposed to be the champion. Maybe yeah. maybe my journey was to get as far as I could and then learn the lessons that then moved me on to the next stage of my life. Like I'm, I'm a, you know, I enjoy what I do now. I feel like I'm better at this than I was as a fighter. Like that, and, and I don't like that reality necessarily because my ego yeah. wants me to be the best fighter on the planet. Right. But, right. It's, but, you know, I mean, I can reach a lot of people this way as well. I can talk to a lot of people. I can, I can share martial arts. I can spread that enthusiasm for what I love so much. Um, and the more I do it, the more people appreciate it, the more I realize that's, I think maybe that's my thing. That's my gift. I, I was supposed to, I was supposed to reach as far as I could and fail, but you know, I had intent. I had ten fights in the UFC, but I experienced everything. Like I went four fights up. I, I was co-main event in my second fight in the UFC in London, right? You know, then then I had the beef with Marcus Davis, which was massive. Then a, a title eliminator with you. Then lost to GSP over 25 minutes, just got, just got ragdolled and pinned to the mat for 25 minutes, completely ironed out, couldn't do anything. Very, very frustrating. And then I tumbled right down the other side of the mountain. Got knocked out by Condit because my ego was out of control. Lost to, um, to Anthony Johnson because I totally thought he was going to get into a gunfight with me. 
and then just went out on my shield against Chris Lytle because I'd given up. You know what I mean? That was my journey. And then that could have been the end of my journey. And, and fortunately for me, a couple of people around me at the time, Lorenzo Fertitta being one of them, was showed a bit of investment in me and said, you know, they weren't going to cut me. He wanted to keep me into the, in the UFC. So I took some time out and thought, you know, I, I tried and failed, but you know, maybe I'll give this one more go. And still I was derailed after two fights, but I, you know, I got two back, feel much better about myself because of that. I wasn't particularly pleased with the, with the performances necessarily, but it is what it is. And, uh, and, and, I've moved on to this career now where I'm, I'm, I'm talking about martial arts all day, every day. Like it's, it's, it's my job. It's my reality. I've been able to, to create jobs for friends of mine that can work around me now. So, you know, m- maybe this is what I was supposed to be doing. I'm, I, I do find myself very grateful for it. Yeah. You never know, man. And you know, what's weird is like, I had that same exact, like I told myself that ex- same exact thing about maybe it's not meant for me to be champion, but I was just like standing right next to you, right when they raised your hand. That was like when I said it, like that was, that was my second, that really? was my second title contention fight. And I was like, you know what? It is not meant for me to be a champion, obviously, or fight for the championship. But I do want to say, man, I, I want to say that you, you, you fucking fought a great fight. Um, you came out with so much energy in that fight. Um, hey, we both beat Marcus Davis. So that's cool. And then, uh, going back to your <laughs> fight though, going back to your fight though, uh, you fought hard, man. You fought good. And, and it was a great fight uh, strategically. I couldn't see your hook, man. And then uh, you went on to fight GSP, and, and you downplayed your fight with GSP a lot just now, bro. You, you, you showed so much heart in that fight. I was, I was super proud of how you performed in that fight. I, I never admitted that I watched it, but I did. Obviously, I watched it. I watched that fight. I was like, I was really hoping you would fucking win too, man, because I was like, God, if you could knock GSP out, and I went to a decision with him, oh, that'd be good, man. I might get right. myself back. But I like you, man, the same thing, you know, I had issues outside the ring and like, I kind of tumbled myself back down too. And luckily got out when I did. Um, but it was fun, man. And, and, you know, I got out of MMA, what I wanted to get out of it and now moved on to something. I also, um, you know, am enjoying more. Do, do you, in this case, I've asked a lot of people this, but do you feel you got out of MMA after you came to this acceptance of not uh, being a champion? Do you think you got out of MMA everything that you wanted? Like, are you pleased um, for the for the hard no, work, I mean, the, the, I mean, for the hard work and all the sacrifices, yeah. are you happy with the return? Oh, for sure. For for what for what I put in and what I got out of it, I feel very very grateful. Absolutely, and and that doesn't mean I didn't work incredibly hard for for where I where I did get because I I, I did every day. Um, but yeah, no, I, I am I am grateful with the return that I got on it. And and I mean, the the lingering thing for me is I never felt like I showed my best. That's the that's the thing that's lingering yeah. for me. But then at the same time, when I was fighting back in the day, I was in my own way so much of the time. Like I was in my own way in training camp. I was in my own way during the fights. And had I not been able to take this break and and like stop and step away, but still be you know like close enough to the sport to be able to consume it at the volume that I do, I wouldn't have had the realizations about myself that I that I needed to when I was a fighter. I mean, that's why, you know, I, I talk about it a lot, like the idea of fighting again. Like, I, I feel fit and strong. My mind is excellent. I've only been knocked out once. You know, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in great condition. I feel really, really good. The lingering thing is I just, I want people to be able to see what I'm capable of, you know, and I, and I, and I, know, that, I know that I couldn't have changed anything back in the day and what I could have done because that's who I was at the time. But who I am now is so much better. And there is that still, that still that desire to compete. I still feel like I could beat a few of these guys, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm debating as to whether that's my ego getting involved or not. But uh, you know, I, I, I still love martial arts and still enjoy it. But I'm not, I'm not ever going to be a UFC champion. I'm not, and that, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I, it was, I, I never, I never, I never chased the UFC dream with the idea of being a champion. If I'm honest, that's why when in my first fight in the UFC against Gono. I, I didn't have any pressure because I felt like I would, I'd achieved my goal. It was just right. to reach the UFC was the goal, and I did it. Um, so then, like to you know, I had to kind of refocus and, and think about fighting for a title, uh, and that wasn't you know that that was quite a recent goal to be honest. When I joined the UFC, yeah, no, I agree with you, man, and I've had the same feeling too uh, periodically. But yeah. I thought you had a great career, man. You've had some good fights. I think I, I think just going back, whether it makes you feel good or not good, I, in our fight, I, I think it wasn't I, – I think luckily for me, my previous fights 
were good enough and, and, and I got enough knockouts that I built up enough respect to you that I got an easier fight against you. I don't think you fought me as aggressive as you could have, which means I think, I think had you showed up how you should have, like, like 100% or close to 100%, mentally you were when you walked out. You were fired up. But I think during the fight, had you, you would have, you would have knocked me out that night for sure. And, and I know that because you rocked me. You rocked me a couple times. And, and you got so excited, bro. Like I remember seeing your eyes, dude, you, you hit me one time and I was like, Oh shit, that was good. Cause I had no answer for your hooks, dude. Like they were so fast and you caught me right on the jaw and it rocked me and your eyes were like the same as I get. You got excited and your head moved forward. Like I'm going to finish him. Like your, your head shot forward, but your body didn't move because your body didn't move. Cause you know what happens when you shoot forward sometimes with me is I'll fucking hit you back. But I'm happy that you didn't because maybe I wouldn't have and you would have just crushed me out. So I was very fortunate that you didn't follow through with those, those two times you really got me, got me rocked. So thank you for that. But, I mean, look, man, honestly, two, two big mistakes that you could have finished me and you still went on to win a great fight and, and do really good and then have a great fight against George St. Pierre. So uh, I have to ask you, though, because like, I heard a while back we had similar heart conditions and then you said about uh, you might fight again you kind of are talking as if it's still kind of a possibility. Is there any chance at all that you'd fight again or is it completely out the door? Yeah, no, there, there is, there is, it's a serious thing I'm, I'm thinking about. I mean, I'm, you know, right now I'm just kind of ticking over and training and just kind of, cause I don't know when this is going to end. I'm, you know, so I'm just, I'm slowly starting to pick my training up and, and bring my condition about. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm all, I mean, I'm hitting the bag all the time. I have, I have the gym in my house. You know, the videos I post on my Instagram, that, that's in my house, fortunately. So I can, I can train whenever I like. And because I, you know, I watch so much MMA every day, like I'm, I, I'm just, my knowledge of the sport has just grown exponentially since I was fighting myself. So I, I, I feel like I, my training camp would be far more smarter and streamlined now. And every one of my opponents, cause I'm not, I'm not getting back in the mix of the contenders. Like if I'm right, fighting again. I'm looking at I'm looking at guys like you know I'm looking at I'm like Pettis and Cowboy like I had a couple of friends who I do a show with uh, on, on uh, BT Sport over here and they were joking that's the that's the Dan Hardy eliminator fight and I'm getting the winner and someone actually did put it to Pettis after the fight whether he'd like to fight me and he said he would um, so I mean that that's a possibility I think Anthony Pettis would be a great matchup for me um, you know him and I at 170 we're about the same size because I'm not nearly as big as I used to be either. Like when we fought, I think I, I got back in the octagon at about 186. But yeah. if, like the most days now, I'm about 180. Um, so him and I fighting at 170 would, would be perfect. I think Cowboy would be a great matchup for me as well. Just, you know, just fight. because he's, he's a veteran. You know, and that's the kind of thing I'm thinking. I'm not. I'm not delusional. Like I'm. Oh, I'll have a couple of fights and then see where the title shots at. Like it's, that's, that'd be ridiculous of me because I'm one. One. I'm. I'm not. I'm not of my mind. I'm not in the mindset to get back in the in the mix like that because um, I have too many other things going on that I enjoy too much. Um, and the other thing as well is like with the job that I do, one of the best things about it is that I can be impartial and I can just be a fan. And if I start thinking about, well, you know, he's the number number two contender, maybe I'll get a fight with him next. Then it changes everything about the job right. that I do. Um, and, and I think DC. DC can avoid it because he doesn't need to talk about the, the other heavyweight contenders because he's only maybe got one fight in, in his future. But right. you can hear it when when Felder and, and Cruz are talking. Like these are like, oh, I might fight this guy at some point. There's a potential I might, and it does change the way that they that they do the job. I think so. I, I wouldn't like it to get in the way of my commentary and my analysis because that's that's my main thing now. So once this is over and the pandemic's done and fighting's kind of back to normal, or or maybe gets to a point where these fights are working, and that Cerrone contract comes in, are you going to sign it? Oh yeah, for sure. If, if the timing location's right, absolutely, I, I'd, I'd sign it. I, I think, uh, I mean, he's it, the reality is like he's at the end of his career. I mean, that was that's four losses in a row. I've been there myself, and I'm not saying that he can't come back and turn it around and pick up a couple of wins and, and stuff, but he's not. He's far enough away for a title, from a title shot now to just kind of pick and choose and have fun fights that make right. sense to him. Um, and, and, I, and I think that makes sense. I think I think that uh, it would be fight. a fun fight. You know, I mean, he's had he's had a lot of fights since the last time I fought. He's got a lot of experience. He's also taken a lot of wear and tear. Um, I feel like I know his game very well because I've watched his, his fights over and over again. Um, I, I, th I just think it would be a fun one. You know, maybe uh, maybe loser leaves town. Maybe it'd be a we, we we fight for pink slips. We could uh, we could do it like old hot rod racing style, and uh, loser loser retires. 
it's crazy of all the welterweights that we talk about at Cerrone because, dude, I can't, I can't think of a better matchup for you being at this stage. Like, that would be a sick fight, man. That'd be something I would definitely enjoy seeing for sure. Are you training hard? Like, are you are you taking shots, like, like taking shots sparring hard? Or are you just kind of staying in shape and going through the motion and staying sharp with your technique? Yeah, no, I've I'm, I'm not been I've not been taking shots for a while, to be honest now. I mean, I've I dropped – because I, I have my own gym now. We have, a, we have a cage in the gym, and I drop in – from time to time with the with the fighters as they're preparing for fights and stuff and yeah but i'm not i'm not taking big shots i'm not sparring hard i i don't i don't need to be right now i'll drop that in when, when i need to um i mean i mean i do i do a lot of a lot of like play sparring and stuff and and i i feel like i feel like my timing will come back very very quickly um mm. part, partly because i you know I'm, i just i just feel very sharp i feel like i've got good uh, control of my tools let's put it that way like yeah. like when when Back in the day when I was fighting, I had a jab. Now I've got 12 different options with my lead hand, you know, and I know them very well. I know how to apply them, when to apply them. You know, my, my, my shot my shot choice, my shot selection would be much, much better than it used to be as well. So like, they're, they're, that's just kind of the play, the play part towards the end of training camp. Once the condition comes up to support my, uh, you know, prolong the activity, then I'll start thinking about sparring. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm always going to have your back on that. I, I look forward to seeing you fight if you do. Who do you think is going to be – I mean, there's there's a lot – I mean, there's a big mix in the welterweight division right now. Obviously, you're not worried about that as far as yourself, but who do you think is going to emerge and be kind of the king of this division right now? We got Tyron Woodley coming back. Colby obviously is a tough fighter, you know. Um, Usman, I mean, obviously, I'll, we, there's a lot of guys in the mix right now now, and, and the, uh, Masvidal. Who, who do you think – who do you think is going to emerge as the as the as the 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 more solid king of the division when this is all settled? Um, you know, I think the, the, there are, there's one real interesting fighter in this division that everyone seems to just they just overlook him. And and Tyron Woodley was lined up to face him in London, and uh, and that fight didn't happen. And I think the one to watch is Leon Edwards. Um, I mean, he's you know he, he's quick. He's a he's a big rangy fighter. Um, He's a very, very intelligent fighter as well. And I think, to be honest, the only thing that's holding him back is that over-analysis of everything that he does. I think, I think you know, sometimes people have such an operating system that they can kind of over-process. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes the best fighters are the ones that, are, that just rely on instinct. I think, uh, you know, I, I think you and I are a little bit like that, which is why, you know, you're, you're such a good coach. Um, you know, we, we analyze everything and we kind of pull things apart and there, everything's got a decision in, in it. Whereas someone that, like Robbie Lawler is a little bit more instinctual, things flow a little bit easier for them. You, you know what I mean? So I think, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think I think that's the only thing that's holding him back. And I think when he starts to find his confidence, that will start to drop away. Um, I'd like to see Leon get get an opportunity to fight one of the big one of the big names in the division, uh, whether that's you know Woodley or Masvidal, even because there's beef there already. Um, obviously, this pandemic is going to cause issues at the moment. But then again, I don't know what's happening with Fight Island. I, I heard it's going to be accessible to, to uh, international fighters. So I don't know whether they're going to be able to do uh, you know, all matches on there or whether they're just going to keep that for international fighters or what. But he, he's certainly one to watch for, for the future. There, there are lots of good guys in this division, though. You know, lots, of, uh, lots of interesting fighters on the rise. Um, but just no one really standing out at the moment and putting anything together that's, that's you know, that's that's keep catching my eye leon's the one that needs that needs the opportunity right now i think yeah tyron trained with us and and so i'm biased and i know his training and i'm and i'm confident where he's at um but i i agree with you that there needs to be some more fights Th these guys there's there's a few more matches that need to happen and then i think that guy's going to emerge for sure I, I think he's definitely going to emerge um but as far as ufc 249 what do you think that did for uh, sports and do you think that's going to carry on and do something positive beyond sports, especially considering Trump endorsed it? Like, do you think that's going to be a, a big step for us? Or do you think, uh, I don't know, like, what, what are your thoughts on, on, on having those fights during this pandemic and then this possible fight island? I, I think it's going to be a catalyst for a lot of live sports. I think a lot of other promoters and TV networks are going to be looking at what the UFC did and think, I, I can see ways that we can start getting active again. You know, because everyone's thinking about payroll and 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 uh, you know income for companies and keeping things moving and afloat. Um, like, I mean, what we did because I've been doing some stuff for BT Sport, who's the provider for uh, for the UK for the UFC. 
and they sent me some awesome equipment. Um, and we actually did a live show around UFC 249. Um, and that was, they sent me an iPad and, a, and, a, and an iPhone and connect I, a bunch of connections. And uh, I, I had a phone call, a guy taught me through it. But like we're finding ways of, of making TV. And I think that's what we're seeing now. Like we're, a lot of people are breaking ground. Like that's new technology that we were, we were using at UFC 249. We wouldn't have used it had it not been for the pandemic. You know, UFC 249 was very different because of the pandemic, but it worked. It was excellent. A lot of people tuned in. A lot, you know, like the, you know, the, the, the hashtag UFC 249 was live because a lot of people that don't normally watch mixed martial arts were tuning in because everyone was hungry for some live sports. And I think, you know, from this point, you know, we're going to get more live sports. I think boxing will get back on track. I think any, any sports really where you've got, you know, two competitors one-on-one, you know, there's no reason why that can't be worked out in some way. It's when you go to teams and stadiums that it gets quite complicated, I think. But it was definitely a catalyst for some more live sports. Yeah, I'm interested to see how these next couple of events play out. And then I'm curious what's going to happen with Fight Island if this ends. You know, like, are they still going to – maybe they just use it as kind of a themed kind of thing or whatever. But um, it's going to be crazy if they build this whole thing up and then all of a sudden, you know, this thing ends and – they can go back to stadiums again and then they did all this fight island hype and work and stuff uh, to be honest i think um uh, I, I think it's going to be going to stick around i think it's going to be a permanent thing from now on because like you know, you know what dana white is what, what dana white's like he's looked at this situation he's thought to himself okay not not how do i solve this problem now how do i prevent this happening ever again so we don't have to take a break in the ufc schedule Right. So, you know, much like they've got the Apex in Vegas where they can they can do their own shows out of. They've got the same thing in Shanghai when the PI opens there as well. They can broadcast their own shows from there. If they've got the Fight Island, they can literally move every event to there and just keep the schedule going, you know, all year round. Um, I, I think it will be quite a, quite an interesting thing. Um, I've got Jurassic Park in my head. We need some, like, big gates, some big Fight Island gates and they have that to kind do of something thing. <laughs> they have to do something cool so what is what what is the the full reptile thing man like what are you doing like what, what's your day-to-day right now like i know you are you, you're still doing uh analyst work and, and commentary right yeah i'm, I'm doing the, the only thing i'm not doing at the moment is commentary because i'm not getting out of the house i'm, I'm doing everything i can from the house so we are um we're doing live shows around the events now all the numbered events for bt sport um, we do like a, like a weekly catch up event as well, um, and then I do I do a lot of interviews and stuff for the UFC. Um, you know, as, as, as an ambassador of, of the UFC, they they always fire their media interviews towards me. So I'm doing you know TV and radio quite you know fairly regularly, um, and you know just kind of staying busy with that as far as outside of my own projects. Um, currently, my gym's closed, um, but that's that's fine. That's just kind of in, in, kind of everything's frozen at the moment with that. And that will be back up once uh, once things open again. Um, with, with the full reptile stuff, there are kind of two branches to it. There's full reptile collective, which is it's all the clothing. Uh, I mean, clothing, coffee, training gear, stickers, MCT, CBD oil, all kinds of stuff. Nice. Um, so we've got the website, and then we've also got the full reptile creative, which is the, they're the guys that run the, run the YouTube channel. Um, so if you, if, I mean, anybody jump onto onto YouTube and type type in full reptile. You'll see all the stuff we do. I have I have two guys that work with me. They're called the Raptors, and they go to all of the uh, the live events and they, they do all media days and all that kind of stuff. But they produce they produce really really cool content. Um, so that's that's been up and running for about I don't know about sixteen months now, um, and that that's growing nicely. I'm enjoying all of these projects, and I'm working with my friends as well. As, yeah. as you'll know from experience, is a is a privilege. Yeah, definitely, man. And it looks awesome. We'll put all this stuff in the description below. Um, since you're such a good uh, analyst, I got to ask you one last thing. Uh, what's your breakdown on Gaethje versus Khabib? Because I, I have a, a feeling this is going to happen. And and to me, personally, I think this is probably one of the most dangerous fights for Khabib of anyone. Even even before Gaethje fought Ferguson, I always said in previous podcasts, you'll see um, that Gaethje is the guy that I fear the most for, for Khabib. What, what's your breakdown of that fight? Khabib versus uh, yeah, you, you're absolutely on you're, you're on the money. I, I I agree with Gaethje being a problem for Khabib, but I think like Tony Ferguson certainly there were things in his game that could be problematic for Khabib, just like there was uh, for for Gaethje. But they are the spinning elbows, they're the they're the flash submissions, uh, you know, on during takedowns or you know rubber guard off his back, those kind of things. The things that he does around what Khabib does very well. 
Gaethje, on the other hand, can stop Khabib potentially. I'm not saying he definitely can. He can potentially stop Khabib doing what he wants to do. Like Gaethje's got a very good scrappy front headlock wrestling style, mm. and and it, as long as his conditioning holds up and he can make Khabib work hard for his takedowns, we've seen Gaethje maintain his power into the later rounds. I, I don't think power in his right hand is going to drop off at all, and I think that. I think that as long as he can keep the fight standing and maintain his condition through the fight, then he's got a real good ch- chance of, uh, of getting the belt off Khabib. But one thing that was interesting to me, I spoke to Gaethje just before he fought uh, Ferguson, and he said that he wouldn't have taken a fight against Khabib on short notice like he did against Ferguson. So that, that tells me that he wow. thinks conditioning is the key. He knows he needs to be on point with a full training camp. He needs to be working his wrestling scrambles, getting back to his feet. He knows he's going to be up against it. He's going to be under pressure from the get-go. The, the, the deciding factor for me is if Gaethje can maintain his condition, stuff some takedowns, he's got that power all day of the week. And as good as Khabib has been all the way through his career, because he's never tasted defeat and he's never been really hurt on the feet badly, aside from maybe getting stung against Michael Johnson one time, he's never learned that lesson that there are holes in his striking, just like Tony had not really. I, I feel like I feel like that lesson is going to happen at, at some point in Khabib's career, and Gaethje might be the guy to do it. Um, the, the, the question is whether Gaethje can keep him standing and force him to fight on the feet, and then I think that's where the lesson is going to be learned, and uh, that's where I'm, I'm most intrigued about it because I don't know how the wrestling matches up. You, you probably know better than me, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I think Gaethje throwing down the interim belt and saying that he doesn't even care about it because he wants the real belt. I was like, no, I would have taken the interim belt. <laughs> like, I would have taken that. <laughs> I would have been happy. I would have been so happy with that belt, dude. I would have wore that shit everywhere, but whatever. But that shows a lot. You know, that shows he really wants that tough fight. And I agree with you 100%. I'm picking Khabib in the fight. Um, and, and you may think it's because I'm biased, but I, it's also, it, it's it's not more biasness as it is I train with him and have felt that wrestling. And when he grabs you, if he can get in on you, right? Because I, I, I'm a pretty fast striker. And so it's like I can keep people at bay and counter and, and stay at distance. When he can get in on you and grab you from multiple different positions, to be honest with you, you have no ability to, to balance yourself. Like when he grabs you, you lose the ability to balance yourself, which kind of sends panic to your brain. Because I've always been bigger than him, but he still grabs me and it's like a heavyweight. His grip strength is crazy. And then he'll put you in weird, like he has such weird balance or, or actually makes you have such weird balance um, that you never feel balanced, that, that you can control, uh, stand on your feet, and, and then he can just put you where he wants. And I think that's such a scary thing. Um, but be, you know, us being fighters that have had success with knockouts and, and hitting people pretty hard, I think we also can agree that Gaethje doesn't have to knock him out to get results. He can hit him hard and still change the outcome of the fight and still change uh, you know, technique and, and, and style and, you know, different things. So that's what poses the, the interesting factor is, you know, you say he has to knock him out, but if he hits him really hard and, and can do it a few times and get Khabib stunned, things can change. So I think it's a great fight, man. I think it's a much more exciting fight. I think it's as, as good of an exciting fight as you can get with a grappler versus striker at this stage, especially in that division. So I'm looking forward to that fight. Um, and uh yeah and i appreciate you uh taking time out for another podcast this is your second time i appreciate it man uh talking about the coronavirus and especially you being in london uh it sounds great that you're enjoying what you're doing i'm happy for your success man i've always had much respect for you even before you beat me and took my title shot away um but i think when you fight somebody for 15 straight minutes you always have respect for them you know that's, that's a long time to fight somebody for so i think we uh we've gained respect in many different ways but uh uh, much love, man, and, and thank you for doing the podcast. We'll put all the stuff below with your uh, your companies and stuff. They look really awesome. Thank you, brother. Always good talking to you, man. Stay safe during these times, and I'll uh, speak to you again soon. All right. Take care, brother. All right, so there you have it, Dan, the Outlaw Hardy, a name that is definitely going to stay in my head for the rest of my life, um, along with the dead brain cells that he put there from his hooks that I didn't see in November of 2009 and ruined my career. He's the, he's the nicest, coolest guy that ever ruined my career. So 
I'll always uh, always have respect for him. Seriously, though, he's a great guy. He's a great fighter. You can't fight somebody for 15 straight minutes and not have respect for him, uh, especially when you're a fan of the, this person before. Um, and and a fun fact too that we didn't get into in the podcast, which we should have briefly at least, is before we ever fought when when Dan. Uh, was new into the UFC. Uh, me and Fitch were kind of top ranked as a welterweight, and he was coming up the ranks. And uh, we actually did a, a tour together. We we went to Germany and we supported the troops. Uh, a lot of you guys that's followed me for a while know that I've done a lot of USO, AFE, uh, military support tours, Iraq, Afghanistan, Djibouti, all over the Middle East, um, Germany. And he joined me on a tour with Fitch, and we went to um, Landstall. Uh, medical re- regional medical center uh, outside of Ramstein, and we were um, all together supporting the the uh, the wounded warriors that were coming in from Iraq that had just got either blown up in IEDs or got shot or got hurt, and uh, that was their first stop was in in Germany, and then we we went there to meet them, give them shirts and and hats, and talk to them and visit them and just show them some love because these guys didn't have any. Um, you know, visitors support since this traumatic incident happened and they haven't made it home yet, obviously, to see their family. So it was a real powerful trip and I wish we had got into it, but he actually joined me for that. So we we shared that experience and, and you know, he had a lot of love and did a lot of good things for the, for the troops and for the wounded warriors and I, I respect that a lot too. So uh, anyway, I know I'm saying I respect Dan Hardy a lot and I know I if I'm not saying I respect him, I'm talking about how he beat me up and ruined my career, but it's all true. Anyway, uh, great guy, great guest. Hope hope you had a, a good time and took something away from this. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment. Uh, let us know what you think. Let us know any guests that you might want to see on the podcast, and we'll try to get them booked. I'm enjoying these. I love it. We're putting out a new podcast every couple of days. I'll do them every day. I mean, I'm in quarantine right now anyway. And I vowed even when AK Thailand gets up and running, hopefully June 15th, uh, I'm going to continue doing these. So I'm going to keep this stuff going all the time. Um, I just enjoy it too much. I love talking. I love uh, having great conversations with great people. Um, if you're on the audio platform, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, subscribe to us there. But definitely check out the YouTube because it's always better to see us um, interact. I think it's uh, more personal and, and – uh, And definitely subscribe to us on YouTube. So anyway, thanks guys for watching. I'll see you next time.